Nick Friend, thanks for being on the podcast. This is the Golden Hour Podcast uh, brought to you by Polar Pro for potentially the last time. Uh, we have some news there on that front. Um, but Nick, thanks for being on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so like I just said there at the intro, um, Polar Pro is, it, there's nothing like negative or bad going on. Um, they've just decided to uh, drop this show in terms of their ownership um, however, they have given me full, um, freedom to, to do whatever with it. So, uh, so yeah, I'm going to keep it going and it'll continue to be called the golden hour podcast. It's just now just my show. Um, and, yeah, and Nick yeah, here, it's not so much like dropping it. They're like, they're, they're handing the reins to the new driver. That's right. Yeah. I guess that's a good way to yeah. put it. That's actually a better way to say it. Um, so yeah, I'm really grateful for the. I guess three and a half, three and a half years that we've been doing the show now, um, several wow. hundred episodes and, uh, really it's been a joy of mine to, to do this each week and to talk to different creators. And, um, so yeah, so that's kind of the update there. I don't know exactly the format and the, the way that it'll change and morph. Um, I think I'll just continue to do interviews and, uh, Nick and I are talking about doing something maybe. So, uh, just stay tuned for that. But, uh, yeah, it's exciting. You know, new stuff is never a bad, never a bad thing. So if you're here and you're listening, don't worry, it'll still be here and I'll still be talking to you. So you still have to yeah, listen to no my voice. Ever, no one's ever upset about another chapter in a book. That's right. That's a good way to put it. I really like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Nick, <clears throat> Nick and I met, um, how, how did we meet actually? You were talking, um, did you, oh, yeah, tell me, tell me, it's the Twitter, the Twitter thing. Yeah, I just tagged you on Twitter. I, I, you know what I did? I made a TikTok video talking mm-hmm. about content creators that I said were worth paying attention to. Essentially, it was just like <laughs> these three YouTubers are worth watching, or something like that. And it, dude, like I totally, I've done, like, done, uh, you totally fooled me because you got me. Um, we have such a creators have such a big ego. If you talk about us, we pay attention. So. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, of course. <laughs> but no, I, that, seriously, that wasn't. Uh, yeah, that wasn't the intent. But but it was just me kind of like talking to people about stuff that I use to learn, and mm-hmm. um, you were just like, "Hey, that was cool. Uh, what's your phone <laughs> number?" <laughs> I, I slid in your DMs. Yeah. He literally said my DM. Then I was down in New Orleans at the time, like hanging out with my brother on vacation for a little while. And um, nice. Yeah, I, I was just like, Dave, what? All right, cool. So I just walked <laughs> around the block for like an hour. You and I talked on the phone about nothing yeah, and everything. Dude. And that was how that was how yeah. we started talking to one another. You know, ironically, that's how I uh, that's how my wife and I met. It was uh, she liked a post on Instagram, and I noticed her, and I was like, "Woo, she's hot!" And then I sent her a message. And I said, hey, what's your number? And then I called her instead of texting her. I just called her right away. And we just talked for like, I think like two or three hours that night. And it, we just hit it off. So I think we're onto something here. We're onto a good relationship. I think you're <laughs> developing a pattern. <laughs> <laughs> that was a solid, uh, oh my goodness, that was a solid 10 years ago now. I've been with my wife for 10 years. So uh, life life moves fast. But Just getting started. Just that's getting right. started. That's right. So Nick, tell me about yourself. Tell me about just who you are, where you come from. You mentioned New Orleans. Uh, I think that's a really fascinating bit about yourself, but uh, tell me about yourself. Who are you? Who's Nick? Yeah. Nick's friend. 
Yeah. Well, first of all, friends, friend really is my last name. Um, that's, that's, that's actually why I changed one of the reasons why I changed my YouTube channel from friend films, uh, mm-hmm. which is the URL to I'm Nick friend, because people s- won't believe me when I say, no, my last name is friend. They're like, oh, okay. Okay. And I'm like, no, I'm Nick friend. And then I was like, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So I just stuck it with I'm Nick name. friend. Um, but yeah, I, so I was, I was raised in new Orleans. I lived there for 16 years, um, from like one to 17. Uh, and then, um, eventually, uh, because of hurricane Katrina, I bounced around a whole bunch and then Mm. ended up in Tennessee. Funny enough, I ended up in Chattanooga for college. Oh um, yeah. After, after finishing beautiful city. Oh my goodness. It's gorgeous. there with The mountains and stuff. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. Um, I used to live at the base of a mountain. I would wake up with like beautiful, you know, smoky mountain mist every single morning. It was great. That's um, cool. Yeah, I love Chattanooga. But so I so I went to UTC, graduated from there with a degree in communication, and um, I actually there wasn't a film degree at the time. I don't even know if there is yet, but there wasn't a film degree at the time. Um, but sophomore year, I realized that I really like making documentaries mm-hmm. by accident. Accidentally signed up to a documentary film class. And because I, I thought it was, I put in the wrong code for an English an English elective, and it ended yeah. up being like intro to documentary. And I was like, well, I mean, it satisfies the same credit, so I'll just take it anyway. Ended up being an amazing accident. Uh, <laughs> loved every second of that class. Uh, it was one wow. of those classes where I never got the best grades because I was trying to understand the nuances of the subject matter, um, and I would mm. dig so deeply that I would almost confuse myself with asking too many questions. And that's kind of like when I was like, Oh, I'm actually really interested in this because I can't stop analyzing it. Um, and my yeah. teachers recognized that. And I had a lot of really great tuition with regards to like telling me where to go and what directions to go and, and what classes to take and all that stuff. Ended up basically building my own film degree. So I got a general degree in communication, which taught me the technical aspect of storytelling and editing, specifically editing. And then I have a, uh, um, a uh, what's it called? A minor in um, creative writing. So that was like where the creative storytelling thing came from. Um, basically gotcha. use those two to make my own uh, film degree. And then I just uh, moved to New Orleans. Moved back. Uh, yeah, moved yeah. back to New Orleans to get into the film industry because at the time, this was 2013. Uh, yeah, starting to blow up in, in that town. Huge huge um the first film first major film that i worked on within being there for like five months was planet of the apes oh my goodness yeah huge i mean I so was thrown that to the was wolves. uh andy circus right and uh yeah 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 absolutely and um wow my dude. first what did- ever production was actually top chef which was like oh. a crew of like 160 people that was like a 12 camera shoot I was wow. like, bruh, bruh, bruh. like deer in the headlights, which just kept my head down and didn't say anything. It just listened to the grip, you know, because uh-huh. I was just this little it, PA trying to make, trying to say yes and do everything. Because you're from that area, were there connections that you had that led to that opportunity? Or was it just kind of like, I'm going back into the film industry and just see what happens. And it just kind of happened. Like, how did that even come to be? It's just yeah, per- so- per- perfect timing, really, or what? Both. I mean, it, everybody on every podcast ever talks about how they 
knew somebody at the right time in the right place. And I'm no different. Um, uh, this guy, genius man, um, named Zach Manuel. Uh, I messaged him and I was like, you're a filmmaker. (laughs) At the time he had just released this beautiful short film with a mutual friend of ours who is an actor. His name is, his, his real name is Dave Davis. You got a and bunch of a, you got a manual friend, you got a D- yeah. Dave Davis, yeah, you got Zach Manuel, the director and filmmaker. Dave Davis, who is a brilliant actor, who was on um True Detective season one. Oh, cool. Nice. Um wow. like had an amazing role on that show, too. Uh but so I saw that he had made a film with my friend Dave. So I reached out, said, Hey, <clears throat> mutual friends, I was wondering. Um, if you had a place for me on a set, I was like, I just need some experience. I don't need money. I just need FaceTime. And he's like, mm-hmm. come on down. I got this weird film called laundry day going on that I can help you out with. Jump on it. Dave was on that project as well. And that was the first. So I, that was my like free PA job. And then after that, it was like a one week shoot for me at mm-hmm. least. And he's mm-hmm. like, I talked to Zach after that because it was a nightmare. It was just all over the place. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he was like, Nick, I promise you that will be the last free job you ever do in this city. And it was. Nice. That was after that. That's awesome. Um, he put me through to this, that, and the other. I ended up making a lot of phone calls, sending a lot of emails. Found myself on Planet of the Apes. And then it was kind of off to the races from there, just working Dude, my amazing. Rolodex of contacts. And I ended up working on Jack Reacher 2. I worked on True Detective. I worked on um, wow. Billionaire Boys Club. I worked on a bunch of huge movies. Um, and that was just how I got my feet wet. A lot of HGTV shows mm-hmm. were down there, um, which I don't know if this audience knows how much of a scam those HGTV shows are. <laughs> Can you enlighten That's me all on that? My yeah, mom well, the is one that I worked. the biggest HGTV fan. She watches oh, that. I'm going to ruin her religiously. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't I don't listen. Know if, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. So the, at least the show, one of the shows that I worked on had two houses. One for the mm-hmm. exterior and one for the interior. The exterior and the uh-huh. demo and the one for the interior. So uh-huh. they literally just finished the front facade of the house. The sides were not finished. The inside was still a complete and total wreck. And then they oh, switched wow. to a completely new house to film the finished interior. And that's how you shoot a uh, full renovation in two weeks. So like, uh, it's all, this, it's all is fixed. it the same? So is the interior the same, uh, like layout? So it's like the same. But it will, doesn't have to be because it's a demo. It's a demolition. The first half ah, is a demolition. Gotcha. So you take down all the walls and remove all the fixtures. You have no idea what you're looking at. <laughs> so you do that and that's, 3D that's render on the screen. And the, there you go. I'm not saying all shoots were like that. I'm saying all the shoots I was on were like that. <laughs> oh my goodness, dude, that's hilarious. Yeah, I, I've heard about all sorts of stories from different reality TV uh, stories and stuff, and how fake it is. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, uh, that is what it is. Yeah, it's not yeah, reality yeah. at all. <laughs> it's no, production. it's not. It's it's called reality TV, and it is one of the most highly produced genres I've ever been part of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was I also. Uh, had the opportunity to work on Love Is Blind season one. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I love that. Great. Show. I was at, I was Netflix an extra show, right? in that. I was actually at one of those weddings. Yeah, yeah, the Netflix show. Is uh, that the one where they're, not, they're they're in the pods and then they speak yeah. to each other and yeah? 
Yeah. So I was at the one um, the that season. everybody was up in arms about. I can never remember the couple's name, but uh, the bride to be left the man at the altar. Um, mm. And it was just the most like hastily made wedding I've ever seen in my life. Oh, really? <laughs> it's like, like there was, it was like in a giant conference hall and it was just beige curtains put up in a square with a grid <laughs> above it with like just so many lights, cameras yeah. on cranes. There's like nine camera operators. There's crafty <laughs> and holding and all these extras are filling out paperwork and all this other stuff. And they're all like, yeah, I'm usually like an entertainment reporter. I just kind of do this stuff on the weekend. I'm like, where am I? So those this are the guests. Just- the guests at the Those wedding. Those were the just- guests at the wedding that were just sitting there. <laughs> and then, like after the after she left the guy at the altar, we all went to dinner together <laughs> with the groom. With, yeah, with everybody. <laughs> we we're all just wow, like hanging okay. out eating pasta. I would love to was, be on a fly on the wall on on those types of projects because it's it is fascinating to me, honestly. Oh. It was so funny, but that was basically how I got started making content, which was okay. watching and where other are you, people do it. Where are you now? Where do you live now? Now I'm in Denver. Um, love living Denver? in Denver. Uh, it's the first time I ever moved somewhere. I moved here a year ago, almost exactly a year ago. Uh, it's the first time I ever moved somewhere because I wanted to move there. I was just like, I have a job or I have a career that allows for me to be pretty much anywhere. Mm-hmm. I have a solid enough income for me to capitalize on that kind of nomadic nature of my job. And I have enough income to make a change. And I was like, let's go for it. Let's not double check it. Let's not consider other options. I know I like it out there. My brother's been living out here for over a decade. Oh, so cool. I've visited See. here many, many times. So you got that and, you got um, that family there. That's good. Yeah, and I, and I've been able to like develop some friendships through my brother that are now kind of my own friendships as well, which has been great. Um, and so I so I made the move out here, but but well before that, um, I uh, started looking at the things that I was learning on huge film sets, you know, like hundred million dollar plus film sets, um, mm. and figuring out how I can assume more responsibility on smaller sets. So -hmm. I started like trying to get my hand into smaller productions and take a more elevated role. And I kind of operated as like a stepladder thing. So it was like the smaller the production, the more responsibility I required for myself. And then I started doing much smaller productions and then I started directing those much smaller productions. And so that way I was able to get to that level of, education and expertise and, and like challenge myself in that specific way in the job that mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted as a director and as an editor. Um, and I just kept niching down smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until I was like, this is really fun. And then I was like, this is YouTube. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm just making YouTube videos with my friends. And I was like, this is, this is the most fun I've ever had. And that's kind of like how I found myself where I am. It's like, I realized that I had a lot more fun with less stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. So like the big cameras and the big crews, they are amazing. And short films and making indie films, there's, I'll always say like, there's nothing like it ever. But the most fun I've ever had is, is, is usually making like 
digital content with friends and, and, and collaborators, stuff like that. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Now I make YouTube videos professionally for other people. And then I also professionally for myself. <laughs> gotcha. So you're not, you're not like flying to Louisiana doing stuff for in the film industry anymore. Um, no, not so, not so much in the film industry anymore. Um, it's just, uh, it, it hasn't been as lucrative or as demanding as mm-hmm. the digital space has. Uh, the digital space has been, um, one where I gravitate to more and two, um, what seems to like what I do the most, you know, the people that I make digital content for seem to like that digital content a whole lot. So it's just kind of like mm-hmm. feeding itself, you know? Well, who, um, who are you making uh, digital content for? So right now, outside sure. of my own YouTube channel, I work for a company um, that actually creates YouTube videos for their clients. So they do a lot of gotcha. like, it's called, it's a company called Maiden Network. And mm-hmm. um, they manage a lot of YouTube channels um, and okay. do a lot of brand partnerships and marketing and asset management and advertising and and a lot of that stuff that I don't really know too much about. Uh, but I'm actually on the production side. So several times um, clients will actually tune in to Made a Network and be like, hey, we see what you do for all these other people. Do you want to do that for us? Um, mm-hmm. Like for instance, Wayfair was my first cl- uh, client that I got to work with uh, through this company. And we developed an entire like nine or 10 episode series for Wayfair to deliver on YouTube. Hmm. Um, and it was like a docu-series about how their pieces that they sell online can like enrich people's lives. It's pretty cool. Nice. What's the, what's it called again? The company or the series that I did for Wayfair? The company that you work for. The company is called Made In Network. Like made, made in as in like made, like, Yeah. Made In Network. Okay. Cause I just searched Maiden Network and it was like, just don't oh, search. Like, like, like the primary network or like the initial network. No, it's like made, like manufactured in network. Yeah. No, I understand that. Yeah. But um, I would recommend people not to look up Maiden, like Maiden Voyage. Don't look that one up. Yeah. That looks a little pornographic. Uh. <laughs> that's, that's, an, that's, an, that's an after 10 p.m. podcast here. So. Where are you, by the way? Oh, dang it. My stupid Chrome, it like threw you out of my tab. Okay. Anyways. Yeah. So we're going <clears> to, <throat> we're going to move on from there. Um, tell me about, uh, your channel and what your goals are and what you're, what you're doing currently on your channel. Cause that's obviously how I discovered you and how a lot of our listeners here can, can follow your work is on, uh, the yeah. Nick friend ch- uh, channel. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the channel is just, I'm Nick friend. Um, and it's gone through a few iterations. Like it used to be like very cinematic and kind of poetic, like a, a mm-hmm. lot of like what like Jake Fru does these days um, mm-hmm. or um, Aiden Robbins, like what he does. Uh, but it's, it's, and then it was like kind of vloggy and, and nice daddy. And, yeah. and now it's um, kind of equal parts, like nerdy camera stuff. Uh-huh. And kind of analytical creator economy content where I kind of look at the what and why behind um, creator economy. And then I also look at like the apparatuses and techniques used to create that content that serves that economy. 
And so I kind of de- redeveloped the tagline for my channel and redeveloped the branding for the channel. So now it's just, I'm Nick Friend. And I make content about making content. And I keep it you know, clever and catchy so people remember it, but broad enough so that I can kind of keep myself open to making anything I want in those two little pockets of the internet. Uh, yeah. And that has been probably the most satisfying change I've ever made to mm. the platform. And I, and I started doing kind of like what YouTube likes to call, um, what do they call it? They call it multi-format creators. Mm-hmm. So people that make <laughs> sideways content and vertical content. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so I kind of have that two pronged approach where I make daily content and vertical platforms and weekly content mm-hmm. and horizontal platforms. And it's been a, it's been a sustainable riot is what I like to call that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm looking through your channel and, uh, the, the, the Bailey Sarion, uh, how tricked the YouTube algorithm, that video performed well for you recently. Yeah. The, uh, any C70 content always seems to perform well. I've definitely experienced yeah. that. Um, how to shoot a, a fashion film in the euphoria style. That was, that one's really cool as well. So that one was a lot of fun. I was kind of disappointed that the actual fashion film didn't do that well. Um, but it's at the same time, the like, it, that yeah. Was, yeah, that was never going to do as well as the behind the scenes nature of the video, the accompanying video that came with it. Actually, to bring it back a little bit, that is the real reason I got into filmmaking. Uh, oh yeah. It's too, is because I was a skater. So I made skate videos and mm-hmm. my favorite part about renting videos was the behind the scenes content. Yep. <laughs> and when, when I, when I, when I realized that I was like, I should make movies. <laughs> yeah. And then I just, and then I did. Uh, I'm sure that's very relatable to most people. Anybody like most people either start by making skate videos or being obsessed with behind the scenes content or what I have come to find through a series of Twitter polls, both. <laughs> yeah. What, by the way, um, you one of your last videos, the next YouTube is LinkedIn. Is that yeah. true? What do you, th- what do you uh, think? Yeah, uh, to to a large degree, like uh, I think a lot of what YouTube is doing now is what LinkedIn will do in the future. Um, oh wow! Because I, I think YouTube is going to split off into a few different factions. I wouldn't be surprised if Shorts becomes its own app again because I know it used to be its own app. Um, mm-hmm. I think it seems split very separate. Yeah, yeah, I think they'll split off Shorts. And then I think YouTube will even split off into two different kinds of content um, where there's going to be like Mr. Beast style content, which is pure entertainment and like what YouTube came out recently and called um, comfort content. Uh-huh. And then, oh, interesting. And then you're going to, yeah. And I think you're going to have um, a lot of the educational content is going to migrate to LinkedIn um, mm. Because they have been very strategically purchasing companies and developing infrastructure that is incredibly supportive to educational creators. Um, You know, think about Mark Rober, you think about um, Matt Diavella, you think about uh, uh, Nathaniel. Colin and Samir. Colin and Samir, yeah. Well, they just signed with LinkedIn for their podcast. You know, they're officially part of the LinkedIn podcast network. uh, You will not be surprised to find a lot of parallels between myself and Colin and Smear. They are my favorite YouTube channel and have been for a very long time. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're great. So been, I tried, I, 
they finally figured it out too. So yeah, awesome. they really did. I mean, they, they, when they pinged on the Colin and Samir show, mm-hmm. um, I'm so happy that they leaned into that the way that they did because yeah. they're providing such a unique service that like, it's, it's one of those things where you're like, I didn't know I needed this, but now that I have it, I never want to lose it. Um, yeah. Because the team that they have, not just the two of them, but their entire team that they have is so good at finding like nuanced levels of importance behind like the biggest creators on the, not just YouTube, but like the entire internet. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm always that. learning from, always learning. From, I have to like actively stop myself from copying them because they're so good. <laughs> um, and, they're do, and, and like they're making content that I kind of wish I could make. And so when that happens, you do find yourself kind of emulating the creators that you admire. Um, sure. You know, yeah. Nathaniel Drew talked about how he did that to Matt Diavella. Ryan Trahan talked about how he did that to Casey Neistat. Um, I just watched a video today about how Jake Frew intentionally copied Jesse Driftwood for a very long time. Uh, mm-hmm. It just happens. Um, so, but I do have to like actively stop myself. Be like, I, I, I don't want to plagiarize. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there's still um, there's still ways to to make it your own. Obviously, and I think that's what you're doing. And um, you know, I'm excited to see your journey on YouTube. I told you to buy the uh, the YouTube Formula book, and hopefully, you've uh, started reading that. So it's a good one. For sure. Yeah, I, I I realize I'm a very slow reader, so I have the book, but I also bought the audiobook on Audible. There you go. I've been able to like crush it just, and really get listen really to the get audio. the knowledge in. Exactly. Same here. I'm, I'm not play. a good reader. I'm not a good reader no. either. I wanted to buy the book because it's nice to have the book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, I, I got through like chapter two, and I was like, I need to speed this up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I got, so I got the audiobook. Uh, and it ha- and it has been an absolute delight, and I, I already have like actionable things to do to like try to upgrade my my YouTube ness mm. um, in in like a meaningful and and and, and real way. Well, I think that's a great introduction to to Nick Friend, and we'll continue to to hear more and follow your journey. Everybody, go subscribe to I'm Nick Friend on YouTube. It's spelled exactly how you expect. Um, but I do have something here that I think is really interesting uh, to talk about, and it is the new Canon R7 that I'm holding in my hand here. Um, I'm using the 17 to 5528 with the adapter on it, but I did order it with the new uh, kit lens, which is actually this is one of the reasons why I bought this camera because I wanted to put it on this camera. <laughs> the new yes, kit you lens. said something about this on Twitter today. It was just like <laughs> I got it for this. <laughs> not, not the only reason, but I just think <laughs> I, I am quite obsessed with small lenses um, because I like how it feels when the body um, can sit on a table and the lens doesn't cause the body to flip down onto the table. <laughs> that is such a pet peeve of mine. I I hate when lenses like so like what's it called sag down. And, yeah, like, and touch it drives me nuts i will put rails on the bottom of a camera before i let that happen well yeah like this nikon uh which by the way nikon sent me thank you nikon this is uh, i'm borrowing it um for about a month the the z9 which is a very coveted camera we could talk about this too but like okay. you know oh, i said oh, I, <laughs> I sat on a table and it just flops down like this oh that and would so, drive me up a wall i would lose it well, 
Well, I usually, my solution to that is I usually set it down sideways like this. So that way, um, oh, yeah. it doesn't, that's very 2022 of you. It's easy for me to like reach in and grab the handle and just go up like that. Um, just, but you know, if, it if sits, I'm using it more naturally in a vertical format. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the C70 is obviously a, a pretty chunky camera to begin with. It's, it's nowhere near as big as what cinema cameras have been in the past. So, um, if you think this is a big camera, then you just, you haven't been around long enough to realize that this is actually a small camera, but that being, <laughs> that, that being said, it is big compared to a mirrorless camera. And, um, with this lens, it just balances so well, but you know, the optics aren't the, gr- aren't very good. And it's a variable aperture. It's a F three, five to six, three, which is no good. Uh, no bueno, but, um, you know, for the way that I use it, I, I have been using my little 10 to 18 wide angle lens uh, on this camera as like a little home video camera, like filming my kids and stuff. And so for my strange random use case of using a C70 as a home video camera, which I do when I'm not working, um, I'm kind of stoked about it because one of the things that I love about the C70 is the built-in microphone is actually really good. It's like one of the best built-in mics I've ever used. So really, I've I don't never, even. I've never tried to use the built-in on 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 my C70 for the for the viewers and and listeners. I'm using a C70 right now, um, yes. So I'm familiar with the camera, but I've never used. I never even bothered to use <laughs> the built-in mics. They're good. Yeah, they're not bad. I mean, it's I had, obviously a built-in no mic, idea. so it's not as clear as a as a boom if you're doing like a talking headpiece or you know you don't want yeah, to pick well, yeah, up sure. But the way that I use it as a dad camera, um, like ah, it's perfect. Dad cam. It picks up the the kids well in front of the camera, but then it also picks up my voice really well because I'm behind the camera. Uh, so it's just a nice clear and there's a automatic setting uh, on the Canons and Sony doesn't have an automatic setting. A lot of other cameras don't even have automatic audio uh, settings, which is interesting. Um, so Obviously, I, I don't want to go on and on about my really random use case because I know there's nobody on the planet doing what I'm doing <laughs> using well, the, a the five, other, the, the five other thousand dollars cinema camera. Yeah, the fifty-five hundred dollar dad cam. Um, <laughs> no, uh, Caleb over at Sunny Sixteen would be proud that you called it a dad cam for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, like no, but the thing, Never the much. other thing is like the the zoom function on that lens. Because yeah. it's such a, you could basically crash zoom. That is yeah. ultimate dad cam mode. Crash zoom. <laughs> I know, exactly. And it's easy yeah. to zoom it. So yeah, yeah, I mean, the way, again, I use this, like we go to the zoo, we go to the park, we go outside. Yeah. So it, this is an F5.6 or 6.3. Oh, wow. Ooh, that's pretty, that's pretty bad. But technically I could just keep it at 6.3 the whole time uh, yeah, and that, not worry about it. That's not pretty bad. That's, that's pretty dad. Yeah, that's that's pretty sad. Exactly. But um, anyways, that being said, I have been goofing. I literally got the R7 today, like this morning, and we're shooting this at 9.30 my time. So I haven't had much time with it, but I will say it balances in the hand really well. It feels great. It definitely feels smaller um, than like the R5, but it it feels really good. It's comfortable. Um, They've really engineered this thing well in terms of the way that it's laid out. There's a mic jack up at the top that gets away from your flip screen and the headphone jack. um, I'll put it in the camera here and see if it'll focus. Uh, The headphone jack is on the bottom below that and it's in the same kind of off angle, just like the uh, mic jack. 
I haven't heard anybody so talk about completely out of the way of the articulating. Screen. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. How does the Sony work? I guess it's only face tracking. Um, but yeah, so it's completely the headphone jack and the, and the mic jack are completely oh, out great. of the way of the flip it's screen. Completely unobstructed. And the flip screen itself yes. is better than my $5,500 dad cam, uh, which yeah. is very <laughs> unfortunate. Um, I don't know why I, I still haven't sent mine in. I still need to do that. Now that I have this, I think I feel safe to send it in and I could use this for the time being. Um, to, the, do, you have, do you have a little, little bit of a sagging LCD screen? Yeah. My, on your, my, I, I got, I, I ordered this like when it was in the pre-order state back when it was first gotcha. announced. So this is the first batch of C seventies. Um, yep. and the first batch had a floppy screen. Um, yeah, that's why a lot of creators have talked about it, but it, it actually is, um, quite broken feeling even though the screen itself Ooh. isn't broken it just jiggles around quite a bit and it's um it's very unsettling and it just feels like it's going to break off at any moment and it, it just feels so cheap but i will say after using the sony camera the last week i've been using the a7s which is actually filming me right now the a7s mark three or not they don't use the word mark it's just the a7 three um I miss the high resolution of this screen. I didn't really realize how, uh, you know, how great the color was, the uh, resolution of this OLED, and the the size as as well is is qu- uh, quite big compared to the uh, Sony one. And the Sony screen is pretty low res. It feels like so. Anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, that has been a trope of Sony LCDs for a very long time. Um, yeah. But I, I wanted to ask you a question about the R7 because my brother. I don't, I don't think I mentioned this, but my brother is actually a professional photographer. So he does a lot of fashion and studio and commercial photography. Oh, cool. Um, nice. And he's got a really cool like NFT photography project that's launching at the end of the month. So he's fully embedded in cool. the photography world. He's an R5 shooter and I've used his camera a handful of times. And nice. that to this day, I think the R5 has the best grip in terms of yes. uh, stills cameras. How is the grip on the R7 considering they – have learned so much from the full frame lineup of R series cameras. Well, I don't know what they're doing um, with, I think because it's a more budget friendly option. I mean, this body is 1200 bucks, I believe, which is, uh, or, or maybe which is amazing considering the specs. Let me see. Actually, Canon R seven, it might be 1500. Uh, yeah. It's 1500 body only, which is pretty great for what it is. Um, that, and, yeah. It has that kind of like, I don't know if you've ever held the RP, the Canon RP, but it yeah. was it was a little bit smaller. Um, it feels kind of like that. So it's not as chunky as the R, uh, R5, R6, um, but it feels really good. It, it's got that high quality leather feel. It's got that kind of new plastic material that Canon seems to be using on everything. Um, yeah. It does have the little cheap little button here, which like they put on the cheaper uh, cameras. It's, it's not a spin wheel. It's just like this cheap little plasticky, uh, D pad, but they've yeah. done something really odd. And in, in my opinion, really, uh, revolutionary. They've put the, uh, jog wheel on the, uh, focus selector, the little joystick nipple. Oh, is that a wheel? So that is, if I can focus on it with the Sony. So that's where my, th- that's where my thumb goes. So my thumb is now kind of like already placed on a dial yes. up at the top. So I'm fil- if you're watching the video, you can see it. Um, there is yeah. right next to the EVF. Um, that is a actually wheel. a very clever place to put that. 
I really like this. And it, it took me a minute, like when I first got it and I started messing with that, I was like, whoa, that's weird. But I will say it's way more natural for my thumb to to access that than come down to where the D-pad is. It's just so much more comfortable to hold that. And so now I've got my, you know, my standard dial on top with my index finger doing my aperture. And then um, my shutter speed is adjusted using this little uh, wheel by the joystick, which is really cool. That's um, so clever. Yeah, I really like that. So it's such a I, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And um, they've got a little manual uh, manual focus and autofocus switch right here as well. You can hear it clicking back and forth. Yeah. It's kind of like a, like a oh, Fuji so the, camera. And that you can hit with your fingers in the front of it, right? Yeah. And there's a little button on there as well. And I've actually configured that to be my servo AF um, on and off for video. So and I don't so know if you... In the field, just like making changes noticed, like real fast. Exactly. Because I don't know if you've ever done that on the on the C70. There's like on the bottom left, there's that AF on, on off button. I just have left that default. And I really like it because um, basically I'll just like track somebody's face real quick and then I'll lock it by pushing that button. And mm-hmm. that way I know it's not going to go in and out or, or do something weird and fishy. Um, often if you're doing like a gimbal shot and you're maybe revealing into something, a product or, or something, yep. you just lock focus on that product. And then you, yeah, you don't want that focus foreground. You just, yeah. Yeah. Cause you got to have foreground elements like with Boca to kind of give you some sort of transition or, or some mm-hmm. sort of movement, but you don't want the focus to focus on the foreground. You want that to be yeah. out of focus. Um, which is really annoying with the autofocus, but um, yeah, it's got two uh, UHS two uh, card slots, which is cool. Uh, I don't two slots again. It's got two of them. It's just it's, to me, this is really the perfect companion to the C seventy. To be completely honest, um, pretty good. It's, the C seventy is such That's a great video camera. Yep, and this is a really great stills camera. It's not full frame. But neither is the C70, so yeah, neither is they C70. kind of yeah, so. they go really well together. Um, and this camera has C Log three. It does ten bit four two two with no uh, recording limit, and it has a seven K to four K down res. So the image is super sharp. I think it's actually sharper than the C70 because the C70 is like a native four K sensor. Yeah. Um, although the DGO sensor is is wonderful. Um, but these two cameras honestly are kind of the perfect match in heaven. This has IBIS and it, it, it's so far so good. Um, I've had some problems. And, with wait, Canon's- hold on a second. This is a 10 bit 422 4K C Log 3 mm-hmm. camera that's $1,500. I know. I'm telling what you. What are they doing? It's got an EVF, it's got the little, uh, the brand new hot shoe where you can buy that little Tascam thing and, and get XLR just straight on it, that, uh, cable list. Which the C70 does not have. It does not. Yeah, with the C70, I have to use a silly little dongle to put XLR into it because it's micro yeah. uh, or mini XLR or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Although, obviously, the pre- the preamps and, and everything are wonderful in, in the C70 itself. So that is nice. Um, and one of my favorite features about it is having four uh, audio tracks. Oh, yeah. I, I've definitely done four audio tracks in some of my productions where I'm using the built-in mic as a scratch, like, holy crap, everything's <laughs> gone to gone to poop. And, uh, you know, I at least need to have some sort of audio. And then I have, like, the, the boom mic. You know, I have, like, an XLR going into the boom mic. 
And then I'm using the, you know, the Rode Wireless Go plugged into the standard 1.8 or one eighth inch jack, you know, or whatever, giving me a stereo left to right uh, lav pair. So it's awesome having four tracks of audio on the C70. Um, But the R7 will do two tracks with that little uh, XLR thing and uh, it plugs right in uh, just like the R5C. It's got the same processor uh, as the R3, the Digic X, I believe, or, or whatever yeah. it is. Um, so this actually has the best autofocus that Canon offers at this point, um, It's which is actually better than the R5, ironically, uh, even though the R5 yeah. Is, yeah, is considered a flagship. Um, I, I this, think that also has to do with the the fact that they are da- they are super sampling the 7K sensor, so they're able to have more resolving data for that processor so the autofocus can be more accurate precisely yeah um the ibis is great on it um you can turn it off if you don't like it um but canon still hasn't enabled the feature where um you can turn the is of the lens on and the ibis off uh correct me if i'm wrong in the comments on that but uh i believe canon does not allow you to just use the is in the lens which I would prefer in some cases because I have seen some weird wobble effects with Canon's IBIS system. And that's a little, yeah, you see it a lot, of, a lot of the times up in the corners, especially when you're all the way wide, yep. um, you'll see that, that I, it, people call it the Canon wobble. I've seen people call it the Canon <laughs> yeah. wobble. And a lot of companies have had that in the past, but they've been able sure. to solve it with, through software. And now we're at a state where like the uh, Sony camera uh, doesn't seem to have it at all, uh, which is nice. And yeah. then um, I think Panasonic still has issues, but cameras like but, this camera, which I have the OM-1 uh, with their software and IBIS, I've never seen any wobble and it's wonderful. I, yeah, it's, I've it's never so wonderful. seen stabilization like what OM systems can provide. Is it, they, well, they provide... The most at seven and a half stops of yeah. stabilization when you're holding it in your hand. It's absurd. It's like, it feels like um, <laughs> yeah, it feels it like, feels like a magic trick. A, it, it really does feel like a magic trick. <laughs> I'll be holding this camera and it's just like completely rock solid and smooth too. It looks Shocking. natural. It doesn't look unnatural. It's um, uncanny. It, honestly, like sometimes it's a little uncomfortable how steady it is. <laughs> Because it so, gives you the confidence. You're like, oh, I'm really good. It's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really good at, uh, at shooting things. Like, uh, I'm really good at the ninja walk. It's like, no. You're all <laughs> over the place like a ping pong ball. The camera's good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Um, that's an, uh, Before I get off the topic of the R7, I definitely want to talk about the OM-1, which I was able to, to find in stock at some random camera store in Texas, which was a real treat for me as an Olympus fan. Um, but yeah, so, uh, and by the way, I did purchase both of these with my own money. Uh, the, these companies did not send me these cameras. I tried to get Olympus to send me the, the, the OM system. They're, they're now called OM system, but, uh, the OM one, um, because I was such a fan of the EM one three and the EM one X, uh, they just were like, we're having troubles, like keeping them in stock to sell, let alone give out to reviewers. So I was like, okay. Right. Um, I want to get on, but I, I purchased both of these with my own money because I know I want one of one of these and I will not have both because that is absurd because I already have too many cameras. Um, <laughs> but, so, but so, but so after we talk about the OM, 
I'm mm-hmm. going to ask you where you stand. <laughs> I don't know so, yet. Well, you might know a little bit later. The problem is I can always justify uh, probably keeping both (laughs) because of my job, but... uh, Right. It's market research. And then there's the flip side of the practical land where probably a lot of our listeners live, which is the Sony ecosystem, which is just... It's just like the sensible thing to do. It's like the, the, the Toyota Prius of the... I don't, I don't know if that, that might be cutting it a little low. It's like the Honda Civic, you know, it's just such Honda, a reliable like, tool. Yeah. I feel like Honda Civic, Hyundai Elantra, great references for this decision. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's nothing wrong with it. Nobody's going to fault you for it, but you're also this never going to, never going to brag about it. What would the C70 be in that equation? It's a truck, uh, right? This is like, that's a, no, this that is, is fully a Toyota 4Runner. Okay. Oh, a 4Runner. Yeah. Cause the forerunner is slightly more expensive than you would expect, but it's never going to go wrong and it's yep. always going to bring you home. Yep. And it's, and it does look cool. Like there is a cool, and it looks cool. It. There is a cool factor to it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's got Land Rover vibes, but it's not a Land Rover. That's like a, that's a red Komodo is a, it's a Land Rover. Right? Land Rover is so. a red Komodo. And then, <laughs> Maybe. um, for sure. Absolutely. Land Rover and then red what, Komodo. Uh, Ari and let's uh, keep going. Ari and red. Yeah, so, so so the Airy Airy is um uh like old Jags. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, smooth. They just reliable. they don't they don't change a lot. They don't come out with new stuff very often. They're kind of mysterious about what they do, but they are the coolest thing in the world when you see them in the wild. <laughs> That's a Jag. I don't know. What- also an Airy Alexa. <laughs> you wouldn't say like Ferrari or Porsche or something because they are no. literally. The top, like that, is what everybody in the entire industry uses. Like, not everybody drives Jaguars, you know, but like a no, Ferrari no, no, no. is but what is the flagship of what like wealth would be as a as a right. That's that's what I would. That's I would say like it's like a red weapon. Okay, okay. Like Ferraris <laughs> yeah. and Lambos, that's it's red a little, weapons. Because that's a little flashy. Like Reds yeah, are a little, a little flashy. flashy. Yeah. There's exactly. design. There's designs. Uh, that they they're 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 design. For their cameras is intentionally a little flashy like reds don't have to look like science fiction uh weapons you know no uh but they design them red to look calls like- him the leader of the rebellion let's put it that way <laughs> that's what it says on his business bro. the guy oh, founded cool. red so he founded oakley sunglasses like look yeah. at the branding there you're like <laughs> yeah that yeah. dude drives a lambo <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly i actually um, did an entire video on the on like the origin story behind red cameras and i found out some oh, of the so funniest it, things i found out some of the funniest things about the founder of that company and the company itself so freaking weird <laughs> well uh we should save that for maybe a future episode and do like a yeah, whole yeah we could do like a story like a history lesson on on red oh yeah absolutely um, absolutely that'd be a blast so yeah, back to the the R7. I think it's a, a yes. bit of a sleeper. I think it's a bit of a sleeper camera because it truly is a, a, a solid um, video camera. It, like I said, it's got the 7K to 4K down res with C log 10 bit 422. Uh, it is H.265 only, so you're gonna have to have like an M1 Max or you know M1 machine if you're on an Apple if you want like smooth playback. Um, you know, I've never it, messed with H.265 files ever. Oh really? So you're shooting yeah. what MXF? Uh, uh, yeah, you're shooting in MXF. 
Um, or are you I on shoot... a Apple Silicon uh, or are you no, on yeah. an Intel? M1 Max. Oh, dude, your... There's no reason. Oh, really? M1 Max? Yeah. There's no reason to shoot MX anymore uh, unless you're working with other uh, people that aren't on uh, Apple Silicon. But there's no quality loss going from MXF to H.265 422 10-bit on the C70. Uh, you're just simply saving file size. So Interesting. Because I was just doing it because I used to shoot with like a Sony FS7, which is also an MXF wrapper. And so mm-hmm. when I saw that, I was like, I know exactly what that is. So I just kind of stuck a- with it. It is a nice, like, reliable industry standard. So, like, if you're working with a bunch of different people on different machines, um, yeah. definitely stick to that. But um, I switched over to once I got the M1 Max, I switched over 100% to I'm shooting 10-bit HEVC on the uh, on the C70 because it's it's still 422 10-bit 4K HEVC. Uh, it's just like a quarter of the size, literally. So uh, there's no reason not to because it, it okay. runs so native. It, it runs natively on the on the Mac. So. Tell, tell you what, I, this starting tomorrow, my <laughs> daily content that I make and my video that I make this coming weekend, there everything, H265, HEVC wrapper. Do it. Get a, where I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you with a report. See how you'll, see on the, you'll see in the top left, like the remaining Numbers time. will change it drastically. It'll go from, uh, yeah, like 100 minutes to 500 minutes instantly yeah. um, with I no quality use, drop. Um, well, I, I was going to ask, um, it's, um, UHS two slots on that can on that yeah. R7, correct? Which, which again, which again, if we're, if we're referring to being a C70 user and needing a B cam, it's the perfect B cam, like the, the R5 Couldn't and the R5, better, C, yeah. you have to buy those expensive cards. Um, you don't have mm-hmm. to, but like, if you, I, I want to, I don't want any of my money to go to waste on a camera. So if I'm not going to use the CFast card on the R5C, um, then it's like okay, well, there's this wasted space on this thing. Whereas, yeah, in this and that, this the R5 instance, is C, CFast two, correct? Yeah, what, whatever it is. Yeah, uh, well, either way, it's obscenely expensive proprietary data cards. It is, um, which is just a long way of saying it's a huge pain in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> and these two cameras, like these are these are both SD card cameras. They're both they're both small. They're both lightweight. You get your your A obviously crazy awesome cinema camera with the C70. Um, you've got a, like a run and gun backup. Uh, you know, I need a tight, I just need like a tight telephoto for my interview setup um, camera with the R7. Yeah. Uh, it's your perfect little, just on a tiny little tripod getting, you know, some extra B-roll camera. But then it's yeah. like, hey, I need to take a thumbnail picture for my YouTube video or I need to grab some, some quick uh, stills for some social stuff. Um, say you're using the Sigma 18 to 35 1.8, which pairs beautifully on the C70. You pop that off, put it on your, your R7. Um, now you're getting 30 megapixel uh, APS-C photos, you know, with a smaller lightweight lens than the full frame options. Um, obviously, Canon does not have any good RF uh, crop lenses. The only ones they have yeah. is this, this kit lens. Um that's the the bummer. Um, so you're either buying expensive RF lenses that are designed for full frame, which again negates what I was saying previously, which is like I want all of my money to be spent f- and and used fully. It's a weird obsession I have. So it's like I, if I'm going to buy this full frame lens, 
I'm only using like 1.6 X of that lens. <laughs> so it's like, right. shouldn't it be cheaper? <laughs> and, and like, it's one point, it's a uh, six, uh, you know, it's 0. 0.6 bigger than it should you're, be. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, you're effectively losing a third of the, of the capabilities of a lens. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, is what's happening. So this is, what, yeah, like- I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very perturbed by Canon not coming out with RFS lenses. Because yeah. they're clearly committed to the the lens mount, and they are continually yeah. making cameras such as the one in your hands that are crop sensor. They, I mean, they have to come out with RFS Not only, quality lenses. They have to. They have to because the R seven is a very professional. Uh, this is not like just a little rebel. If you want a cheapo yeah. thing, if you want a little cheapo thing, you can buy the R10, which is only a thousand bucks. So it's five hundred dollars cheaper. It still does a lot of the same things this does, um, but that's that's your like Costco camera. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. <laughs> and, but, but like the um, the C70 is a freaking like this is a real pro camera. This is a fifty five hundred dollar yeah. camera, and they don't have any high quality L series, uh, optics Nothing. for this native mount. Uh, so single I, one, which, which kind of stinks. And they've never done that actually. Uh, can, this is the most pro APS-C lens you could ever get from Canon, the 17 to 55. And then you also reviewed the 10 to 22, which is the wide angle, uh, yeah, sort that's of where we are right now. I'm not even all the way zoomed out on the 10. Actually, let's go and do that. Ready? <clears throat> yeah, let's do there it. There we go. Wow. So we're all the way out of 10 mil. This is 10 mil on a crop sensor lens. There you go. Look at those. Look at those socks. (laughs) Oh, Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm trying to get sponsored by Stance. (laughs) I've heard. Yeah, I bought some of those from my brother once. He loved them. Um, That was (laughs) the Casey Neistat lens. I know he... uh, I'll save, save that for later. I know Casey used that lens primarily as his vlog lens. Um, yeah, for a very long, long time long on the seven DD. I do like the STM, the ten to eighteen, but it's uh, a little bit slower and cheaper optics. Um, yeah, tell me about. But crucially, that that ten to eighteen has a quieter autofocusing motor for much blocking. quieter. Yeah, much so much. So you quieter. have an on camera microphone like a shotgun mic. Um, mm-hmm. You can't hear it, but this one is not. This is a USM lens. So you same can, for the seventeen to fifty five. Yep. Yeah, yeah. These same those, here. Those lenses actually were developed in tandem with one another. They were meant to cover um, everything you would need. Uh, yeah. Everything from ten to fifty five, which they, these lenses were built together, and they they also came out with an eighty five and a fifty at the same time as these two lenses. So your seventeen to fifty five, mine ten to twenty two, and then a fifty one eight and an eighty five one four. They all came out at the exact same time in around two thousand and six or something. <laughs> yeah, these are very old. Uh, you yeah. can still buy these new on B and H for basically. Like, why the would new anyone price. do that? You can buy it new for like eight hundred dollars, which is why total, would you do that? <laughs> I bought this lens for th- under three hundred dollars. I think it was two fifty yeah. or something on eBay. I got this one delivered to my door for less than two, well, less than three hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, and <clears throat> obviously the Sigma 18 to 35 and then the, the, the yeah. accompanying lens to that, the 50 to 100, 18, which is also a glorious lens, but it's also massive. Um, that's a nice pair. Um, Tyler Stallman, my friend, uh, Tyler uses the 24 to 35 F2 with the speed booster on the C70, but 
Um, I've owned the speed booster or the turbo booster, whatever you want to call it, the entire time I've owned this. And I also own, I actually own two EF lenses. I have the 16 to 35, 28, and then I have the 24 to 105. And I just, obviously when I'm showing up like on a job and I'm being paid money to like run camera, it's not a problem. I don't, I don't even really think about it because I use the easy rig or a tripod um, and it looks good. Um, and the, the weight and size doesn't really bother me. Cause like, I know I'm there to do a job. So it doesn't even like, I don't even think about it really, to be honest. Um, but when I'm doing YouTube and when I'm like running around, I can just feel the extra weight of all that. And yeah. also I've, I really have noticed that the turbo booster does, uh, soften the image a bit, not soften it, but it like, it adds less, it, it lowers the contrast quite a bit. Exactly. Um, it does. It lowers the contrast. That's Which exactly. isn't a bad thing. I mean, if, if you're if you're putting a if you're putting diffusion on your lens as well, like it could actually work together <laughs> in a nice way yeah, to give you, you can, a look. Gives you you can certainly look. work with it, but like it very it can just as easily like work against what you want. Mm-hmm. So I do prefer to use um, even my sixteen or thirty five two eight on the, uh, just the native like adapter mm-hmm. without the turbo booster. Although I don't know if you know this either, but like. Um, even if you're using a 16 or 35 on a crop body, you're still getting the distortion uh, kind of elements that you would see as a wide angle. Like they're having to kind of push and distort things even more than if it was a native APS-C at that focal range, because it's having to cover an entire full frame uh, on the 16 or 35. So if I'm shooting, you know, 24 millimeters on the 16 or 35, and I compare that to 24 millimeters on this uh, all around her, the 17 to uh, 55 the 24 on this is going to look less distorted and a little bit more natural than on that one because it's just more bulbous and that's just kind of how the lens is designed uh, and the same is true for yeah. the 15 to 35 28 is so again this is why i'm calling canon out and saying please make native aps-c pro lenses because please do this, i'll call them out with you like uh, <laughs> it's just this body is such a, an untapped really, market this is such a great body here, the R7, and I, I think it has a good future. And I would love to see. Can we Canon see? Can we see them more. just like hand in hand, just next to one another? Oh sure. The C the C70 and the R7, just like take how. Off? Yeah, as you wish, but like the two there. are so significantly different in size, but so shockingly similar in capabilities, like. The fact that those two basically take the same lens is amazing and produce like a a very similar image is amazing because you can, if you set your, your C70 to C log three, they will match. Mm -hmm. Those two cameras will match. That's a, that is amazing. The fact that one is like almost a quarter of the price of the other and it it (laughs) would be essentially (laughs) indistinguishable in post. Well, to be frank, uh, I'm going to be doing some tests with this. I've already noticed the autofocus is better than my C70. Obviously Um, it's using the R3 (laughs) algorithm Um, and the IBIS is great. And Mm -hmm. um, the size is is great. I'm kind of like, "Eh, should I just sell the C70 and buy like three of these? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) is it really like the fact that that tiny little camera is making you think that is (laughs) incredible. Because I could buy the XLR uh, adapter thing and I'm getting yeah. pro audio at that point. It's all built in. 
Um, yep. I love this little jog wheel here. Um, it's got, I'll do a low light test. I'm curious to see, obviously the, the C70 is using a, you know, $10,000 camera sensor in it, the C300 Mark mm-hmm. III sensor, which, you know, the R7 obviously doesn't have that in it, but, um, I, I am finding that it looks really nice. So, and for YouTube, it, it doesn't really matter. So, um, oh, like that, I don't need, uh, that I, don't might need be, raw. I think, no, I think the R7 is going to be the new YouTube darling. Absolutely. This is like um, David Dobrik made his career on the ADD, uh, uh, yep. you know, uh, Casey Neistat started his career on the 70D over to the ADD. This is the modern, this is the mirrorless that is of it, that. Yeah. This this is yeah. literally the the iteration from the, they did make a 90D. It didn't seem to take off as much yeah. um, because it was still just a DSLR and uh, it did have 4K, no, th- which is nice, but I this think, is really I the true that- successor to that. I think the R7 is what Canon tried to do initially with the M series mm. with like the M5 and the M50 and the M6 and stuff like that. And the M10, yeah, yeah all those yeah. like tiny little consumer cameras, what they actually yeah. wanted to do when they were releasing those cameras was the R7, but they yeah. had to come out with the R5 and the R first. Um, yeah. Just because that's how the market works. You release the big budget like super heavy hitters first to build up the market. And then you release the, the lower budget consumer friendly versions of those cameras with less features afterward. They just had to work their way there, but, but yeah, it was kind of a long time coming camera technology works its way down for the R7. And then they were just like gracious enough to give us the R10 um, as like (laughs) basically just like lowering the barrier of entry for Canon mirrorless ecosystems. and the, they're they're calling this. I think Canon themselves call this the the seven D equivalent to the okay. mirrorless line. So if you okay. remember the Canon seventy D, that was quite uh, popular. Um, I owned two, and that was my first DSLR. Yeah, because um, it was APS-C. You know, it was Super thirty five, which was a big deal back then um, to be able to shoot. You know, in the same format as cinema. Uh, it also was the first DSLR to have 24 frames per second. The 5D Mark II at the time was still shooting 30 frames per second. So you had to convert it over, which wasn't mm-hmm. correct. You, you they eventually those phantom frames missing. Yeah, they, they, they officially updated that with firmware. But um, there was a couple, I think maybe even a year where the 7D was like the only camera that shot 24. Um, yeah. Anyways, I really love it. It's really thought out. You know, if I have a mic on here, it's not going to interfere with the mic jack. Or if you want to order, Canon does make a, uh, a hot shoe mic, just like Sony, that interfaces with their little interface here. So you can have a mic, a boom mic on camera without any cables, which is nice. Um, I actually That's placed awesome. an order on that as well. Because even though the mic jack thing is out of the way, it still is just kind of annoying to have a cable, uh, obviously. Um, this is a first yeah. world problem. But um, a lot of well, people so you're, were- you're recording, you're recording this on the A7S S correct? Yeah. Yeah. So yep. that that hot shoe has their updated thing for Sony where they have that yep. like wireless shotgun mic technology too. Yeah, you can they make shotgun mics, they make the XLR yeah. module, um, and then they make the um adapter that you can use their uh wireless lav packs that also can clip in and it's just a wireless yes. uh uh lavalier. Um yep. The EVF isn't bad that everybody was seemed to be a little worried. It's a lower resolution than like a pro uh, most mirrorless pro cameras. But to me, it looks fine. It looks great. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I I mean like I a don't. lot of times, like when you're blacking out everything, when there's literally nothing else other than an EVF. Yeah. The resolution of the EVF is like a negligible difference because you can't see anything else. Yeah, um, exactly. I, I, I think a lot of talk about like eyepiece resolution when there's like 5.7 million mm-hmm. dots or 6 million dots. I'm like, I'm <laughs> fine with whatever you give me with regards to yeah. that. Actually, that's a gripe that I have about the C70 is that it doesn't have that. It doesn't even have that as an yes. option. Like there's no wish- option. I'm like, I just want to be like, bunk. Yeah, like, like the, that would like be the, the black magic for me to just like. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm. I know. How is it that black magic like, uh, developed that and Canon didn't? That was. It's a great solution, a and, and they get to sell more stuff to you too. It's like, hey, if you want an EVF, <laughs> it's five hundred dollars for an EVF. You know, like this sure, is I'll turn it into a, a a bash rant over Canon. Or it's like, hey, you made one great Although, camera, but there's several things I dislike about you guys. <laughs> I love how. I do love how when you t- all the Canon mirrorless cameras do this, you turn the the mm-hmm. camera off, and the it, the shutter the curtain uh, covers yeah, the, the, curtain uh, comes the down, sensor. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of companies don't do this because technically you're shortening the life of your shutter. Um, technically, because that's 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 a that's a use of the shutter to simply turn it off. But I'm willing right. to do that. Obviously, um, I was going to say. And, like- the, the the lifespan is like half a million shutters. Yeah, like, it's not a. It's I don't think. I don't think turning it off is gonna. Is that, uh, Especially being a video shooter, I'm I'm rarely shooting photos anyway. So yeah, um, there's absolutely. some. Nice I actually dedicated- don't have a stills camera anymore. I, I literally don't own one. All of my why, stills are shot on my iPhone now. That's why you should consider this because again, it's the perfect pair to your C70. So <laughs> and it's Could cheap. Do. It could it's do. fifteen hundred. Uh, it's got I, a, no, I, I'm uh, about to be super impractical with the next stills camera that I'm getting. I'm actually currently in negotiation ooh, for it right now. A Leica, a Hasselblad. Yes, <laughs> I Just actually am. In, I'm currently in talks to I get like a, a guy. Leica Q. Ooh, yes, the original. The original, the, the Leica Q. I, I sent some products to MPB for evaluation and trade in. Uh-huh. And depending on what they say about it, that will be money off of my Leica Q that they've <laughs> already allocated to me. So nobody else can buy it. That's great. Well, I do actually, while we're on that topic, I do love the Leica Q because it's got the lower yes. megapixels and I don't want the big megapixel camera, but um, no. I do like how the other one's weather sealed, but uh, you know, I'd rather have lower megapixels and I don't know if you've noticed either or you've seen, but the, um, the low light is actually better on the Q than the Q2 because of the, of the lower megapixel count. So, um, so I was, I was actually, I was introduced to the Q series line of cameras relatively recently because I was shooting a documentary series, which is currently, um, has, um, rolling releases. So it's out now and there will be more episodes out soon, um, Mm -hmm. for another client from the company that I work for, which we talked about at the beginning. Um, but I was shooting with this photographer named Mike Blayback, who's this amazing skateboard photographer. And he was shooting the subject of the photo shoot with a Leica Q2 monochrome. And oh, kind of wow. in between. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. So we were kind of like in between setups. And he was like, I was nerding out with him about camera gear. And he like handed to me, he's like, you want to take some shots? I was like, yeah. And I took I less than 10 photographs with this camera. And it was it was just, it was like 
a fundamental shift in the experience of making a photograph mm. um, solely based on the hardware. I didn't even look at the photos that I was taking. I was just looking through the EVF and clicking this soundless shutter and shooting them in black and white because it's not the Q2 monochrome is not a regular camera that has a black and white filter on it. It doesn't have color like photo. Yeah. It doesn't record color. Um, it only records like, light values. It doesn't record. That gives you a much, that does give you a much better um, image. Oh, it's incredible. It's unbelievable. Um, better dynamic range. And it, I think, I think it is again, uh, slightly negligible because the sensors are just so good these days, but I think sure. there's something beautiful about it. It is truly like shooting on a film stock, like a black and white uh-huh. stock because it's right. actually pure black and white forces your brain to like think in black and white, which is way more think in a complete. Yeah. you completely different, completely different way, but mm-hmm. more so than any of that was the experience of using that device. The fact wow. that the menus and the layout were so exceptionally well built and well designed that like the actual physical act felt different than for instance, shooting on a Sony a seven R three, which is what I used to shoot everything on. Um, yeah. Which is like, it's a computer. The, the Sony's are computers and they're, they're good computers and they get the job done, but there's nothing about it. The, the process really that is enjoyable because you're always kind of fighting it a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. There's, there's, it's the, to use that analogy, it's kind of like writing a story in Google docs on a Chromebook versus writing a story with a a typewriter and a notebook. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Sure. You know, it's like, it's that kind of tactility and like, it's almost like a romantic thing to it. Is it that drastic? I feel like it film photography shocking. is like that too, right? But film photography, yes, I will always love shooting film photography. I have several film. I have a, a medium format film photograph or a film camera. I have Do a couple have a, of uh, Leica as well. Film? No, no, I couldn't. No. The M sixes are more than Q twos. <laughs> I, I can't believe how much insane. they've gone up. It's um, amazing. It's incredible. About no, six I don't, years. I don't have. A, I don't have a Leica range either. I have a Pentax yeah. K1000, which is like old faithful for most people. And then I yeah. have like a little point and shoot that I got off eBay, which is just a blast to use because there's just no settings to control. Just point and shoot, mm. quite literally point and shoot. And then I have a Mamiya mm. 645 and I have like a Polaroid that like, you know, you pull out of the side. Um, yeah. All of them still work. I've gotten them all serviced and they're all fantastic. So, but That's great. I was, I was amazed at like the feeling of the Leica Q2. Um, yeah. And I have been addicted. That was back in what, like May or something like that when I was shooting. And it hasn't left my mind since then. It just, the, <laughs> for, the, for the listener, we're currently recording this in June. And that was, no, no. So that must have been back in like April then. Um, mm. And it hasn't left my mind since. Just the technology of that. Something about the knob, something about the metal that they use, something about the ergonomics, the lens is amazing. Um, yeah. But speaking of that, uh, yeah. Making me want one. No, don't get it. I, I, I will freely admit that it's not a great idea to get that camera. <laughs> that, is the, have, that is a decision you make with your heart, not your head. <laughs> I don't want I, – I do uh, – my style of photography – and obviously I'm a dad. I've got two boys, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And um, – so I have a lot of motivation to take, 
you know, photography seriously as purely documentation, but also to capture beautiful moments and, uh, of my kid's life because they will grow up one day and this will be the images that document their childhood. So to me, I take it very seriously and, uh, I love doing it. Like I, I took these yesterday on the Olympus, uh, wait for it to focus. Um, just some beautiful bokeh with the fireworks. Um, is that a woody hat? Yes. My son, Uh, Ryan, Ryan wears woody hats every day, but yeah, that one as well. I just, I love these shots. Yeah. It's just these great moments. And, um, so yeah, so I'm constantly obsessed with like photography for my kids, but to be honest, I can't, I can't go like, I can't, I can't do anything with bad autofocus because they move around so much. So (laughs) I have to have something with good autofocus. Totally get that. There's no arguments against that whatsoever. You said you took <laughs> no. you took those on the uh, on the OM, right? Yeah. So let's. Uh, I will. Yeah. I'll, let's I'll talk wrap, about that OM. I'll wrap up my conversation about the R7. I will say it's yeah. still it's still preliminary. Uh, we'll have to do a follow up. Um, I'm about to do a bunch of shoots with it um, coming up here uh, this month, um, and so I'm excited to put it through its paces. I will, st- I'm starting the timer in terms of my B&H return window. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I'm, so ex- gonna- I'm excited to see uh, the kind of insights that you find about um, the R7 because uh, I kind of knew it existed and I knew it was like a good companion camera, but I don't think I knew how good it was, especially with regards to like the specs, yes. you know, just whatever. I was actually, I, I was a little surprised. So I- I'm very much looking forward to your analysis of that camera. Yeah. It's going to be a fun one. So for me personally, again, for the people listening, I really am truly considering either. Now I own a full um, Olympus Prime set. I own the 17.12, the 25.12, and the 45.12. All three of those lenses are incredible. I love the bokeh quality. They're sharp. They're small. It's everything I want. I I want a small, lightweight lens that has beautiful uh, image quality. The only other camera that I can think of that has like, like this is literally the top end prime from Olympus and it's tiny and it's an F one two Sony has small primes, but the quality on the smaller primes is nowhere near the GM uh, quality. And those GM lenses are big and heavy. So, and they're super expensive. Um, So I personally, it's just, it's just a different tier. Yeah. So, to me, I was very excited about the new Olympus. I've been using the EM13 for the last couple of years. I love the color science on Olympus. Actually, I, you know, don't hate me. Um, I really I've, prefer the I've way it looks. I've never messed with Olympus colors before. Never in my life. It's beautiful. It's it's unique. Um, uh, I will say, uh, going back and forth between these two today, um, which which I've been doing a lot because I just got them and these are new toys. Uh, <laughs> the the Canon's kind of UI is just so good. It's just so clean yeah. and simple. Like I never have to think about it. The autofocus is rock solid. Uh, it's clean. It's it's kind of like a Leica in that way where it's nowhere near as, is as simplified and minimal as Leica, but it's basically as close as you can get from a like high-end, you know, camera especially compared to sony i've been using sony for the last week and a half primarily um i still think that their menu system and their ui experience needs work it still is just not intuitive to artists it might be intuitive to engineers but to somebody with so bad for so long (laughs) i know (laughs) they fixed 
they did finally fix their color science. I think that the color. Yeah, is, that's is true. It's definitely good now. Um, yeah, you don't look jaundiced anymore when you put a correction. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I, I was I was actually like a like the first ever owner of the Sony FS7 in Louisiana or New Orleans. Oh wow, Black uh, Hammer was the first ever. Great, great image. Um, those were popular Ooh. in documentary. Not when it first world. came out, it was pretty similar to like the A7S <laughs> color. Like I had to do a lot of work on that image gotcha. to get it. The, the usability color. was fantastic. And it was a 10 bit image that you get, which would, uh, you know, it was probably the lowest price camera that you could get a 10 bit 42 image. Yeah, out at of. the time it was, it was quite, especially um, 4K. it became the C300, uh, replacement yes. for most rental yeah. houses. So, or at the very least a direct competitor to the C300. Um, yeah, I, I, when I was a camera operator in New Orleans, I was regularly bouncing between Sony FS7 and Canon C300 and even the C300 Mark II and the FS7, just bouncing back and forth constantly. Yeah, um, but, but the color was not great out of the, no. out of the FS7 originally there, there was a considerable amount of work to do, but yeah, like you said, Sony has taken their color science a really long way, but even back then the menu was absolute trash. Like, <laughs> So the I, menu I, on the Sony Venice sucks, and that's their newest and greatest and latest thing. It is, yeah, I know it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, so, anyways, so uh, Olympus now named OM Systems. Um, this is their first camera as a new company. Basically, the way it works is uh, when a company kind of goes bankrupt or whatever, they they you know they sort of like sell themselves to another company, and then they just kind of rename it and but often keep the same employees and kind of keep everything business as usual it's just kind of rehoused in a new owner i guess so that's what happened um with olympus so thankfully they are not going away they are still around and they will continue to develop which is awesome and this is their first new camera they've solved all the gripes that i've had the evf quality is finally like as bad as the r7 is it's nowhere near as bad as the em1 uh, camera it was very it looked like i was looking through uh, you know like an evf from it looked like a, a tv from uh, you know 1999 like it was looked like the tv very, behind you <laughs> exactly <laughs> it looked very too low it looks very look, pixelated. looking through a tiny little tube tv <laughs> so they they've solved it now it's a very high resolution evf good magnification uh that's nice uh, buttons feel good. I don't like the dials. They've recessed the dials into the body itself. Whereas on the older bodies, the uh, dials were on the outside kind of and like, easier to access. I don't know if you can see so it. But the dials don't like sit on top of the camera body anymore. Yeah, they don't sit on top. They're they're kind of huh. inside of a covering, which I think so is there's done only one for, spot where you can spin it. Yeah, exactly. And it, it it's I'd a say, little harder. Yeah. It's a little bit more complicated yeah. to do, to be honest. Um, it's a, it's a muscle memory thing that I'm going to have to get used to, um, uh, which is fine, but, um, yeah. So, uh, the body in general feels good in the hand. Um, it's actually a little bit heavier than the R7 I'm, I'm noticing, uh, which is ironic. I, I like it. I like a heavy camera. I, I like it like, not, a, like a dense, like a small, but heavy dense. camera. Yeah, that's exactly what this is. That's why I like it because yeah. you get the small lenses which balance well on the on the body. Um, but it's it's slightly you know it's definitely big. It's not uh, like Sony, even though the A7S three 
is a similar size to this. It doesn't feel as comfortable as Olympus. The, the Olympus fits in my hand better. Um, they have a medical division to their company and apparently the medical, uh, team develops the grips on Olympus. So they're able to really shape the ergonomics of the grip from a medical standpoint. Whereas it feels like Sony just kind of put a little hook on it. It's like, here, you can hold this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So yeah, put like a door wedge on the side and we're like, yeah, let's call that a grip. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so far so good. Uh, I've noticed the image quality on this camera, the OM1, looks fantastic. It is super sharp, and the dynamic range on the sensor is amazing. It's a stacked uh, sensor, uh, which, if you know anything about modern, yeah, sensors, I know a little bit about that, but but please do enlighten me on the on the benefit <laughs> of the stack sensor. Uh, more dynamic range, basically, um, better low light, better noise performance. It's like a stop and a half better, I think from the previous model, um, which isn't saying a lot, but, uh, for micro four thirds, it goes a long way. Um, and yeah, it's only, especially the smaller sensor, like a stop and a half is huge when your sensor is half the size of full frame. And I've noticed on the R7 today, I've been taking pictures as a 30 megapixel sensor, uh, APS-C, and this is a 20 megapixel sensor, micro four thirds. And I think it's probably because of my lenses. These lenses are so good, but I've noticed that the the images on my Olympus or the OM1 are sharper and cleaner and have better dynamic range. And overall, it's a more pleasing image in terms of just enjoying the color science and the overall everything than the R7. Even though this has more megapixels and a bigger sensor, it's softer. It's a softer image than the Olympus. Obviously, I'm going to have to do some tests with the RAW uh, settings. I've just been kind of looking at images straight off the camera on my computer and on my phone. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I've been very pleased with the image quality out of the Olympus. Um, it's got really cool face detection features. It, it's rock solid. And like you said at the front of the episode here, the OM1 has the best uh, IBIS on the market. It is so best ridiculously smooth. It's like a gimbal. It's It's truly incredible. Um, it doesn't have a lot of the niceties that I'm used to from Sony and Canon in terms of like touch tracking. It, it's there, but it's not super good. Um, and these are things that can hopefully change through firmware, but you should never buy it with that in mind, obviously. But, um, right. So it's a little I, I think, janky. I think I learned that from, I've learned that from Marquez Brownlee, which is don't buy, or maybe it was the verge. Mm-hmm. You never buy a product with the expectation of it getting better. Exactly. You buy it. You buy it for its current level of quality. Yep. Um, exactly. But I could tell just by the sound that that LCD screen made when you closed it that the build quality is fantastic. Yeah, it it definitely is fantastic. <laughs> it it feels sounded good. good. It's even got that. It's even got that kind of like it continues the leather. Um, if I can focus, it continues that leather um, kind of feel design even on the back of the screen when it's closed. So it has kind of like a film oh, camera. Yeah vibe to it which is cool yeah that's um, that's some x pro 3 vibes yeah it's got the uh, it's got a new battery um which is super powerful you get a, you know two and a half hours of battery life obviously in terms of video specs we got 4k 60 now on this which is great um with 10 bit 422 um it, that's huge also for olympus because they were 8 bit for freaking forever i know this is the first time we've uh, seen 10 bit internal yeah um but it, you know, they give and they give and take because there's some <laughs> weird, there's some weird things with it. You can only shoot 10 bit 
in H.265. So it, to me, again, like we said previously, that doesn't bother me because I'm yeah, using Yeah, that's what all the cool kids are using now. So Yeah, yeah as, as you will <laughs> soon. Yeah. Um, but And then the second uh, limitation is you have to shoot either log or HLG uh, in 10-bit. Mm-hmm. You can't shoot like a natural or a standard profile, um, which right. again, like I'm not, I'm going to shoot log anyways. Yeah, um, that's not but, a big deal for people like you and I, but... But I you do know, think people that are um, unfamiliar with log might that might be mm-hmm. a, a really big pain in the butt for. It. And the problem is, um, I've seen tests on DP review. Um, it, it wouldn't be that big of a deal if the eight bit four K in your standard profile looked uh, looked good. Um, yeah. The problem is ten bit the eight bit to ten bit difference in terms of sharpness, noise levels, quality overall is quite drastic. So like oh, going from eight bit to ten like bit valley in between those two was yeah. A, a, a so system. so it really is like even if you weren't like I would find myself using like a natural profile probably for like a YouTube or a TikTok video where I don't want to I don't even want to fuss with it and having that ten bit for that extra just beefiness I would prefer that. Um, I tend to shoot baked in quite a bit, to be honest. Um, but you know, that's, that it is what it is. And, um, I think I'm leaning towards this because of the lenses that I own. Um, yeah, I don't, and if you I said were you're, to, you're a, you're a micro four thirds prime owner, right? Yeah. I, I own three, the, yeah. all three of these primes. So I have the 17 to 25 and the 45 one, two, um, these Olympus lenses, they're beautiful uh, lenses. So nice. Are those the so, ones with the uh, clutch focusing ring as well? Yeah. Oh, that is <laughs> yeah, the nice. coolest feature. That is the <laughs> you, coolest feature. You may say like, why clutch. Yeah, I would. And I should have. I should have gotten. I'm a clever man. I should have made that, that, that I know, joke. I was, I, but here's the thing, dude. I'm like I'm going, I'm sitting here going back and forth here and – this little jog wheel here is brilliant. I love <laughs> it. It's so nice. I like having the the wheel up here on the top. It it does feel a little softer in a nice way. Like it feels it feels smoother and rounder, so it doesn't like j- like hurt me to hold it. Whereas this has a little bit more of the sharper jagged edges. <laughs> does the Olympic does the OM hurt you? <laughs> well, like right here on the edge here, it's sharp here. The hand grip is nice, but um I don't know, man. Like it's a, it's a toss up because, well, it really isn't though, because there's no lenses for this, right? Like I have these great lenses for Olympus. They're designed specifically for micro four thirds. There's no fussing around with like, am I using a full frame lens or am I using an APS-C lens? Like that's not even an issue because they only make micro four thirds lenses for it. So it's like yeah, every lens that they make either from Panasonic or Olympus work beautifully on it. Um, Sigma makes lenses, all sorts of adapters you can get, speed boosters, everything's great on it. The IBIS is nuts on it. Um, you get continuous recording, you get all the things you would need. It, it even does a raw, pro is raw out uh, now, which is cool. Um, what kind of HDMI port does it have? Both of these are on equal playing fields and they both okay. have micro, 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 oh, micro. Come on, guys. But, but you can't you can't fault Canon because they're also the ones selling a $5,000 cinema camera called the R5C with also a micro HDMI. That is it, just which, ridiculous. I don't want to talk I don't I don't want to talk about it because I don't think we have the time to go into a rant that long. I cannot believe <laughs> that they put a micro Why? on the Did R5C, they? the C, the C camera. It's so absurd. 
Anyways, it's because it's uh, they're saving money. They're they're just taking they're just retrofitting our fives. It's, it's with still a, a five thousand camera. I know. How much more would it have been to put <laughs> just a mini HDMI, not not a full one, sure. just a mini one, just one that was just a little bit more robust. That's why that's why I like this camera. It's got that's it's why got I like it too. You know, I think so, it's nice as well. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, the predicament is like. The R7 plus the C70 probably makes the most logical sense because they go well together. They're both made by the same company. This has C-Log3. This has C-Log3. If I ever needed a bonus camera, this can be that. Um, They use the same lens mount. They use the same lenses. I could sell all my Olympus stuff, make about $3,000, $4,000 selling all this stuff, put that towards high-quality Canon glass, um, and just call it a day. Um, But... Just like you with the Q, there's an aspect of the Olympus, especially with these lenses, that I just love the image quality. I love the overall experience. It's a really solid uh, system. Um, I'm just going to have to follow up on it because um, this R7 is surprisingly good for what it is for me. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just, just for me, real quick. Just you have a prime lens on that camera right now on the on the oh, OM. This? Oh, I do. Yeah. Just go ahead. And- just real quick, just pop the clutch. Just pop the clutch. Pop for the me. clutch. Yeah. Are you ready? Ready. Ah. <laughs> oh. Come pop on. Pop and lock, baby. Pop the clutch. <laughs> it's just that is like seriously like as far as camera design and lens design goes, that is one of the smartest things that a company has ever done. Because everybody <laughs> complains about Sony's focus by wire system and how nightmarish it is to focus by hand. And yeah. I have relatively the same complaints about a lot of Canon L series and RF series lenses because the focus doesn't stop at a certain point. Um, yeah. Vintage lenses and cinema lenses do not have the problem of stopping at a certain point because they are actually mechanical. <laughs> Whereas yeah, exactly. Olympus was like, we've got a clever idea. Let's put a little bit of both, both of those systems in the exact same thing. You know who else did it that a lot of people forgot about? Tokina, because they had a clutch that's system right. on their 11 to 16. That's right. But Brilliant that was an idea. But that's mechanical, wasn't it? That was actually truly mechanical, I thought. But only when you popped the clutch. Oh, other, than that, okay, it, other than that, it focused like any other Canon camera did. But the difference is yeah. you had the option to switch to manual and have a hard stop on your focusing ring. Like why more people don't adopt this method is beyond my comprehension. It's just we're like. Sitting, so we're sitting here and uh, I've, I do have the Z9 as well, but we don't have time to talk about this. So we're going to have to save this for another time. But oh, this is also a but fascinating. That is, like I, I think I said this before we started rolling, but that Z9 is all things to all shooters. It really is. This it's truly is the ultimate hybrid. It says it does ProRes internal. What what it's hybrid camera shoots ProRes? That that's never happened before. Um, but again, now I think it's a little bit too late. Like I don't I don't care about ProRes anymore. I actually would rather shoot HEVC. So um, ProRes no, is great at a certain. If the baseline is at a certain level, ProRes is great. Like if you are working in at least a semi professional setting. ProRes is fantastic. There's there's no doubt. The delivery and cross-pollination of that platform is amazing. But below that, it mm. doesn't really make sense from a logistics standpoint. Because if you yeah, only have yeah. one or two people dealing with that footage, it's simply too large. <laughs> um, 
But you that's know what, the thing Nikon? about the Z9 is it's kind of made for that certain class of shooter. Yeah. You know what they did? They put a full-size HDMI on this bad boy. <laughs> oh, did they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Almost full like size, it was a dude. good idea or something. <laughs> oh, exactly. Gosh. Now, this, is, this one is like, you know, if you truly are a hybrid shooter and you're doing really pro-level photography and you, yeah. you don't care about camera brand, I mean, this is, this is it. But I've, you know, I've maintained for years and years and years that if you want the best, most usable, most versatile glass, buy Nikon glass. I've said mm-hmm. that over and over. Um, oh yeah, well that might not be true Nikon in the amazing. mirrorless world. In the mirrorless, well, yeah, I, this was anymore. like way before mirrorless. Like I remember, um, I was shooting. Oh, you ready? I was on a Hallmark movie of the week, and the title of that movie was called Rodeo and Juliet. Oh, nice. um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a real film that you can go and watch on the internet currently in real life. Oh, um, and we were shooting on two red ones with a Nikon mount because we were using uh-huh. Nikon. We were using yeah. um, some Zeiss glass that was made for a Nikon mount. But we also had a slew yeah. of Nikon lenses available to us um, because they have been the same for so long. And <laughs> their glass is amazing quality, like incredibly yes. good quality glass. Um, yeah, and I think a lot, of, a lot of people sleep on, on Nikon glass. Um, they kind of skip over it, but it is just such good glass. Yeah. And back in the day with DSLRs, you could adapt Nikon lenses to anything. You could put on a Canon, yeah. you could put on a red, you could put on Ari, all that, all that mm-hmm. stuff. So. The, there actually is an adapter to put, um, ready Nikon mirrorless glass on the RF lens mount. Oh really? The, and then you also the, the, the flange distance is just big enough in a di- in its difference for the for the for a tiny little adapter to fit in between the two of them. And same for uh, Sony lenses to Nikon as well. I actually have that adapter. I, yes, a, yeah. It's not. Uh, it doesn't. The autofocus is definitely nowhere near uh, perfect, no. but it does work, no. which is crazy. Yeah. There's probably no. communication nightmares between the lenses and the cameras, but mm-hmm. the mount does work. so anyways that's kind of my situation i don't know what's going on um i'm i I feel very blessed to own the c70 it's a wonderful workhorse if i just stop using other cameras and stop fussing around (laughs) i would probably be more content because at the end of the day this camera could live on as a primary camera for the next six years easy um Mm. it just does everything that i need but there are and some weird things about it, though, like the lack yeah, of an well, EDF. It, and, you it know, has the coveted, it has the coveted uh, Netflix-approved stamp on it that is so valuable oh, yeah. in 2022. <laughs> um, but I do agree with you; it's got some weird quirks and omissions that you're like, really? They forgot about that? Like, like the EDF? Or my big thing is like SDI. Like you have yeah. SDI for time code, but not for video. Yeah, that's weird. That is weird. You just tell you basically just telling me you could have done it and decided not to. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's what Canada is telling me on that one. But but I I, I agree. It is of it is. I like to say it's punching above its weight, class. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I mean if I'm I don't know if I have the luxury right now financially to keep all of these. Obviously, that's why I. <laughs> I've purchased the R7 and the OM1, and, and the thought is I'm going to return one of one or the other. 
Um, but the truth is, is like, for some reason, a lot of people, uh, you know, guitar players, they, they own, you know, 10 guitars sometimes, um, drummers will have six or seven different, you know, sets or different snares. Um, this is just my, my vice is, uh, you know, cameras and, uh, in theory, I could just keep all of the above and I grab which one I want for that particular use case. And, uh, but I mean, it's getting out of hand. I have too many cameras right now. Yeah. Well, I think, I think when someone else tells you that you have too many cameras, then you have too many cameras. Cause if somebody <laughs> else is willing, if somebody else is willing to break the, the courtesy code of being like, this guy's habit is getting out of hand, you know, <laughs> <laughs> when like somebody that's like yeah, relatively exactly. new in your life is like, wow, do you really need this many cameras? That's when you're like, all right, time for a time for an online yard sale. Um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but exactly. I'm, I am going to enable you at every twist and turn because, <laughs> because Thank I you. love cameras. So much. <laughs> I have a closet. I have a walk-in closet that is just filmmaking equipment. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Same and here. It, like, I could have used that for a ton of practical reasons. I could have turned that into an office. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to fill it with stuff that I use twice a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I have an easy rig. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at an easy rig that I use like four times a year. I could just rent, but I, yeah. I have it, you know. So I, I nearly bought a ready rig and I was like, I haven't had a job that requires a ready rig in over a year, which means I don't need to buy this thing. And I'm just sitting there like, but it's cool. I'm, but I might. <laughs> but I might, yeah, I might. Yeah, like I bought like a smoke machine. I've used it twice for one YouTube video. <laughs> I think this is why we, just, I think this is why we, yeah. we've become quick friends for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I just well, I just put, like put it on ShareGrid, and then I rented it at once, and somebody broke it. I was like, "Well, that's staying with me now." <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. I could probably start putting some like the Easy Rig and the C70 on ShareGrid, probably. So. If your gear starts earning you money, that's a lot easier to justify keeping it. Exactly. Exactly. That might be a well, good, hey, because well, also with that with that OM system one, man, nobody has that, so I bet that might be a high component. Yeah, it might. I don't know. It's it's a lo- it's not not a lot of interest, but high demand in a weird way because it's so niche. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, hey, we're we're at an hour forty minutes. We've let's we let's did it. do a let's do a pause here. I really enjoyed getting to to know <laughs> you more, hear your story, and obviously nerd out about camera stuff for the the other half of the podcast. Um, where can people find you on the social medias? Yeah, so I'm I am on Twitter and Instagram at I'm Nick Friend, all one word. Uh, I'm on YouTube at YouTube.com/slash Friend Films. But if you just search Nick Friend on YouTube, I'm pretty easy to find. You see this silly mug all over the place, and I'm on TikTok at I'm Nick Friend as well. And so I do daily content on TikTok and weekly content on YouTube. Um, and that's that's my spiel. That's where you can find me all over the place, um, and well, LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn to hit me up on LinkedIn. Like send there you me a go. message. Yeah, we had that little LinkedIn uh, plug yeah. there. I'm, um, I'm bullish on LinkedIn, as the people say. <laughs> bullish. Uh, <laughs> by the way, is uh, YouTube.com slash Nick Friend taken? Because I, I just went to that and it is not taken. So you could just delete the URL you have and then change it. Well, I guess I'm going to have to make some changes here, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or I'm, you could do I'm cause you've been doing, I want to try to do, I, I would love to do I'm Nick friend because the only one that doesn't match is YouTube, but 
Yeah. At the no, time, a- the last time I tried to change it, it wasn't available. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Well, I, I just went. So basically what you have to do is you, you have to delete the one you have and then you change the channel name to I'm Nick Friend. And then that way it just auto fills it as like, would you like to use YouTube.com slash I'm Nick Friend? And then you say yes. And then you just do it. So uh, and then you change yeah, your channel name back to just Nick Friend, you know? Yeah. Got it. <laughs> anyway, sure I'll figure I, it out eventually. <laughs> somebody <laughs> I had at Dave, I had YouTube.com slash Dave Mays. And then yeah. between the time where I was working with Kentucky Andy Mogul and stuff, I changed it around a couple times and, and then somebody snagged it and now it's gone uh, and I can't get it. Somebody has it. I, well, I, th- I think I'm still in the humble beginnings where I, I'm relatively unnoticed. So I, I might be in the sweet spot <laughs> of making that change. Do it. Uh, and it, you have a yeah. unique friend. As as easy as your name is to remember and, and spell and say, it's unique. So that's what's really cool about your name is that it really is like you don't have the challenge of it being hard to spell or say, but like nobody has it. So you probably can yeah. get the you can get the handles. Yeah. And my my uncle likes to say the branding writes itself. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I'm your friend. I'm Nick Friend. Exactly. I'm Nick Friend. It's uh, I was just it's a sentence, it's a slogan, it's a logo. Like <laughs> that should be <laughs> that should be your your subtext on your website. <laughs> that's just what it is. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Well, I had to I had to actually change my name to Dave Mays. Uh so, you know, in order to have a good stage name. Did you know that? I I I knew that there were two of them in play. I didn't know you'd actually made the change. Yeah, yeah. My real name is Altizer, my last name. Yeah. Yeah. I knew so, that. I I didn't I didn't know if it was just the stage name thing. I I, I had no idea. Yeah, it's a, I did not ch- legally change my name. No, no. I just, oh, okay. Uh, You're right, getting confused. <laughs> <laughs> it is I mean, try being me. It's it's hard for me to keep up with my two names. <laughs> I'd love to be you for a day. I think it'd be fantastic. <laughs> I suddenly find myself like married with kids and camera oh bro- cameras all over the place. And I'm friends with a bunch of Severance. movers and shakers at Indie Mokul and all that stuff. And <laughs> I got Have you seen Severance studio? on Apple TV? <laughs> uh, I, so I found out that I actually have Apple TV because I bought an iPad. And I didn't know that that was like a deal that there Apple go. does. Uh, you got to watch it. And so, yes, so I good. saw like the first I saw the first episode of Severance recently. Yeah, finish it. But I'm it's only, good. It's I'm only it gets one better. episode in right now. Yeah, you got to hang in there for you know three three episodes or so, and it just gets right. crazy. It's good. I'll dig deep. I'll right, sick tomorrow. <laughs> Sounds good. All right, Nick Friend, thanks for being on. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, man. This was a blast. Absolutely.